0: Welcome to The Parental Compass, presented by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. If you like what you're hearing today, please hit subscribe. You can do it on pretty much any platform, or even better, tell a friend. School year. School's coming back. Oh boy. But we're still in a pandemic. Today I am speaking with the Superintendent of the Olympia School District, Mr. Patrick Murphy. He's returning to the show and he's bringing a lot of information with him. What I appreciate about Patrick Murphy is his willingness to get into the details of some of these hard questions. Even if you're not in the Olympia School District, what they are dealing with is universal. And I'm assuming they're coming to some pretty similar ideas, so there's a lot of great information you can take away with this one. Let's hear what he has to say.
1: And thankfully, the vast majority of them do not become severely ill. Now we do know that some do, and so even though risk is going to be severely limited, it doesn't mean there's no risk. And so how do we learn to live in a world where there is no such thing as no risk, and operate schools in a way where there is some risk, and do it in a way that is um, viable and allows us to do um, what we know is super important also from a health perspective, which is serving our kids in person in school every day. So again, it's that that balancing, and it doesn't surprise me that back in March of 2020, that we reacted the way that we did because it was a novel virus. We didn't know anything about it and we saw what it was doing to people that were health compromised and the elderly. And we took some pretty dramatic steps to, to you know, do some things to head that off, to lessen the impact on our healthcare system. And now we know a lot more and we're gonna get different variants, like you said, as things go. And hopefully we can learn to live with this in a better way.
0: Yeah. Well, you talked about, you know, it's been a year and a half we've been dealing with this more or less. And I know a lot of teachers from around the country. And one thing I'm hearing with schools that have already started is students are having a hard time adjusting to the social side or they're a little harder for the teachers to read of, you know, are you understanding what I'm saying? Are you not? I mean, you're behind a computer for a year and a half. What's happening to help students catch up on that level of just communication and being around peers and things like that?
1: Yeah, uh, hugely important. It's a great point, Bobby, and it's been probably the single most important thing in our planning for opening this year. Uh, I think you and I talked last time. I mentioned we have an academic and student well-being recovery plan that's um was approved by our board on June 1st. And, and notice it's not just academics, it's student well-being. And so um, I mentioned that we have not been in-person full-time five days a week for a year and a half. I think something that was hugely important last year is that our students did get the opportunity to go to school. Yeah. So I think, I think that the fact that we started out in a hybrid model where kids were going two days a week starting in February. And then by the time we got to, late April, May and June, we were going four days a week, albeit a little bit shorter day. So I I think for those families and those students that chose to come to school in person last spring, that was a really important step um, because we had an opportunity to say, what would it look like with a mask on? How do you communicate? What does the lunchroom look like? How do I interact with my peers? And so that was really, really important that we had the opportunity to do that um last spring in a capacity so that when we go back full-time on september 8th we've got an idea of what that's going to look like but that being said to your point bobby there's a lot of things that we've done to prepare uh to be more responsive to the social emotional needs of our students and our staff for that matter um and one of the things that we did in our academic and student well-being recovery plan is we were really thoughtful about the application of funding that we got from the federal government. Mm-hmm. So um, literally millions of dollars flew into the state of Washington from what they call ESSER dollars, which stands for elementary and secondary Urge- emergency relief funding. And uh, it was really to address the academic um, learning that was delayed that we need to catch up on for students that missed it, but also the uh, social, emotional and mental health and well being of our students. I can't remember Bobby if we talked about this, but there's a lot of really important studies that have gone on over the last decade or so around how adverse experiences impact children's
0: learning. Oh yeah definitely.
1: Yeah, so they call that aces adverse childhood experiences. And what they've done is they've done these studies that show that students that have had certain things that have happened in their lives, maybe it's abuse, maybe it's a a really tough divorce that their parents have gone through, maybe it's substances in the family, maybe it's the death of a parent. I mean, certain things that have happened and they've done studies and show it really impacts their, their ability to be successful in school. And the more adverse experiences a student has, the more likely it is that they're gonna have negative outcomes in school you know dropping out or getting suspended or failing classes the beautiful thing is is that in the studies they have found that certain treatments for lack of a better word or certain interventions actually can overcome those adverse childhood experiences and can actually help students be successful in spite of those things
0: what are some examples of that
1: um so uh teaching Uh, deliberately teaching things in the school around self-regulation and and actually helping students to think think through what to do when they're feeling stress and we know this helps us as uh, adults too so you know we used to talk about school being just about reading writing and arithmetic right the social emotional side let parents take care of that you know that's a that's a home thing we don't need to worry about that in school but the truth is bobby if you and i think about to our most uh, probably impactful teachers that we had, they knew that it wasn't just about reading, writing, and arithmetic. It was about forming relationships with students, yeah. knowing what's going on in their lives, and, and really responding to that. You know, when a kid has their grandma die the night before, you don't say, I don't care about that. You're taking the math test today. When you really need to think through those things and how you support families um, and support students. Um, they're, There are lots of research out there about, you know, when you give students who are hurting themselves an opportunity to help somebody else, it actually helps them. And so there's certain things that we can do in school to give students opportunities to be mentors, to be peer helpers, including those kids that are hurting themselves. I mean, there's all there's all sorts of research that we've been doing training on with our teachers and our staff this year um, about really again taking care of the whole child. So we can get to the academic side of things. Mm. So that that's exciting, and we've hired on some additional staff to help with that. We're trying to keep our class sizes a little bit lower. We can't keep them, you know, super super small. But if you have a little bit lower class size, it allows teachers and paraeducators to have more one-on-one conversation with students. We've hired um, family liaisons at all of our elementary schools. That are gonna help all of our um, families that have crises that they're trying to deal with, Um, getting them hooked up with uh, resources in the community, just talking through different ways to help them around things, maybe around housing, getting medical care, things like that. We've hired additional social workers at the secondary level, again, that are like tier three supports for families that are going through crisis.
0: So often, if you just have these base level needs met, then you can build on it. But if you're a kid where you're not sure if you're gonna stay in your foster home or go to the next one, it's like, well, how are you gonna learn algebra then? Or you know yeah. your housing insecure, how can you start building on your emotional well-being? So that makes me happy to see that the school is considering that. It also seems like a delicate balance of you have these standardized scores you want everyone to meet but then you're also trying to meet everyone as an individual. You
1: you mentioned like a baseline and I think a lot of us have been in school and it's it used to be something that was only in psychology classes and and a lot of people didn't talk about it, but now it's like society in general knows about this whole idea of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Right? That that you know in, the, in that pyramid, you know, the very top that idea of self-actualization but at the very bottom it's like you described, it's housing, it's food, it's shelter, it's uh, making sure that you're physically safe. And if those things aren't there, you know you could have the best lesson plan in the world, but that student's just not going to be able to focus on your 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 science lab or your history assignment because they're worried about, you know, are they going to have to move out of their their housing that day? And so I think you're spot on, and the fact is that. Um, you know about one in three families in the olympia school district um, right now qualify for free and reduced lunch it means they're living in uh, official poverty and that's that that is those that actually have filled out the forms to qualify we believe that number is higher because we know our feeder elementary schools are, are always higher than our middle and high schools and those kids don't just disappear they're just not filling out the forms when they get when they get up into those higher grades yeah so i think you're spot on and i As I've said before, this isn't new. We've known this all along that um, really strong teachers and strong school environments look for the social, emotional support of our students at the same time that they're trying to meet those academic goals. Because I don't want to dismiss those other things too. We are an academic institution. The Olympia School District prepares students academically as well as socially and emotionally to pursue their post high school goals. Going to university, going into the world of work, going into the military, guess what they all want, no matter what they're going to do, whether it's career or college, you got to be able to read effectively, Mm -hmm. you got to be able to think mathematically, you got to be able to think scientifically, that's what we do. And so we want to make sure that we're not choosing one over the other, it's that we're doing both because you can't do both effectively if you ignore one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you talked about the teacher's mental health too. It's sort of like society just collectively is struggling a little more. What are you doing to keep the teachers and staff and just the whole team feeling solid through all this?
1: Well, it's interesting. Summer is the time of professional development. It's the time of retreats. It's the time of a lot of planning. And one of the, the through lines that I saw in all of the things that I've been participating in, Bobby, whether it was the retreat with the school board whether it was meeting with my my own cabinet and district level leadership, whether it was meeting with the principals or even in the whole child institute that we had last week with all of our teachers, it's starting with self-care. We can't be our best um, for the students and families we serve if we don't take care of ourselves. It's a cliche, I've used this before, but when you get on a plane and those oxygen masks come down, who do they tell you to start with first? Get your own mask on first before you help your child next to you because you can't be your best Uh, for those that you serve so we're talking about um, a lot of those same things that our students need
0: for our staff so i want to go back to covid for a second and just throw a concrete example and have you walk me through what's happening what happens say i have a student and another kid in their class calls in the next day and they are covid positive and my student was sitting next to them. Is someone going to give me a phone call? Is class off the next day? Let's say this is a middle school student, so one of their classes. What would be the A, B, and C of what happens next?
1: So we have um, really, for lack of a better word, complicated flow charts in our pandemic response plan that I would encourage everybody to look at um because they go through every possible scenario they're color-coded and if this then that if this then that and they go through all of these different types of scenarios and um I would encourage and we're going to send that out to all of our families again because we're waiting for the latest the latest um guidance and the latest updates from our health officials we're reluctant to send some things out people like I don't know you know how is this going to be different from last spring and I'm reluctant to send it out when something changes the next day and we gotta update it again. We really wanna have the most finalized version before we send it out to families. But what I can tell you, Bobby, is that what we've done in the past is we follow that guidance. And what you were describing is um, if somebody is a close contact in the past, then what they would do is they would quarantine um, for 10 days to make sure there's no onset of illness and they would test themselves before they would come back. But that's changing. Right. So a lot of our 12 to 18 year old students are vaccinated, hopefully all of them, at least most of them. And so the new guidance is if you are uh, considered a close contact of somebody who's tested positive and you're vaccinated and you're not symptomatic, you can stay in school. Um, But there is the possibility that that they might change that a little bit and say you can stay in school, but we want you to go and get a, a rapid test after three to five days to make sure there is no onset of disease so that we can keep that going. That's a little tweak that I think is gonna be into our flow chart. And we're working on getting those tests available in our our community and in our schools so that we can have that ready to go. Um, But historically, and what we've done in the past, is if you're a close contact, then you've had to quarantine. And defining that close contact, because remember, when we were in hybrid model, we had everybody six feet apart. But then, yeah. when we went in April or May, students were allowed to be three feet apart. So, then students within three feet to six feet were not considered a close contact. So, there's all sorts of things that need to be worked out in that flowchart, stuff that we never thought we would talk about two or three years ago um, prior to the pandemic. But these are all things that we rely on our experts and our friends at the Department of Health to tell us how that's going to work. And then we follow that flowchart um, with our nurses and our health room and our principals at our
0: schools it's interesting how everything does keep changing it was like one mask sits six feet apart two mask three feet apart like well what if I get three masks then can I be right next to someone or
1: yeah and you know what I think I think sometimes that frustrates people and they think it's people being um wishy-washy or they're not being consistent Mm-hmm. and they get frustrated and i'm i'm guilty of that too right i get frustrated i'm like gosh i thought i knew what the rule was and then the rule changes yeah. and we get you know we get upset about it but the reality is and i'm going to go back to what i said before bobby is this was a novel virus this was a novel coronavirus that we hadn't seen before and to think that we would learn more about it and we would change the way we approach it uh is actually quite rational it makes sense mm-hmm. right the more we know about something the, the the we change it you know I think of like and I hate to use sports metaphors but when you're a coach and you're, you're you're playing in a game and you're going against another team and you see they do things a certain way you adjust your game plan and you say well you know if they're going to do that we're going to do this and that's kind of what's happening with this is and, and I'm thankful for some of the changes obviously I get frustrated and at the same time I'm like whoo Good, because like I said, we are going to be serving kids full-time five days a week in school this year because a lot of the things that we've learned. And and could that change down the road? Yes, of course it could. But I'm grateful that they looked at things and they said, you know what, six feet, as long as we're masked up, we can move that to three feet. Because had they not done that, Bobby, we couldn't get kids in school all days, every day a week. So the adjustments that they're making, everything is a step in a direction where we're trying to get to a place where we can um, mitigate the concerns around COVID but serve students in person because we know how important that is to their learning and to their physical and mental health. We do a lot of screening in our schools that are not COVID related. We screen kids for COVID or I'm sorry, we screen kids for uh, scoliosis. We screen kids for vision. We screen kids for hearing. If they're not in school, we can't do that. And we're gonna miss really important things for students. So I'm, I'm grateful that they're back in school. And of course, the social emotional beast of being around their peers, being, you know, some kids don't learn well in this setting yeah. on Zoom. They need to be with the teacher in a classroom, especially our younger kids, you know, our kindergartners and first graders. They're remarkable. They're way better with technology than you and I were when we were in kindergarten and first grade, but they still need to be around their peers. And again, we have a virtual academy for those families that prefer that because of their own reasons for not bringing our students into school.
0: Well, I said this on the phone when we were talking, but the schools are just a huge cog in society and we need that cog to keep turning. So just thank you for all the hard work that you're doing. And I always appreciate your compassionate approach and attitude. And I think that's something that makes the Olympia School District a really special place. So uh, thank you for being here today and thank you for taking the time.
1: Well, Bobby, I I couldn't agree with you more about Olympia School District being a special place. And we have amazingly compassionate, uh, just highly skilled people in the Olympia School District that I'm proud to work with every day. And I'm grateful for community partners like yourself that help us get the word out. So thank you, Bobby.
0: Thank you, Superintendent Murphy. If we can just get through this year, I feel like that is a sign that society is progressing. So stay healthy, stay safe. This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. Bobby Williams, we'll see you next week. Peace.